You're listening to a Flower Pop production. Hello, lovely people. How are you? I hope you're good and thank you so much for choosing the next chapter. Now, before we start, did you know I have a mailing list? One of the reasons I'm saying this now is because in this conversation, we talk a bit about loneliness and how we can all feel lonely at times. What I'm trying to do with my mailing list is create a world where we feel like we're in this funny old world all together. I send you weekly notes, some wisdoms and stories of next chapters filled with lots of hope and ideas, which hopefully you'll be able to use in your own lives. Anyway, you can find me at elliebarkerwrites.com and I'd love, love to hear from you. But now, let me introduce you to the wonderful Reverend Clive Jennings. I would say grapple with the things that you want to grapple with. Ask the questions. I think so many people just don't ask the questions and they're afraid to because they're afraid that, you know, that somewhere they've, they've missed some sort of magical answer. Reverend Clive Jennings was brought up in a council house, which he says he wears with a badge. Although he loved drama and wanted to be an actor, he joined the police and worked in the firearms department, VIP protection, the special branch and the counter-terrorist branch too. But then life changed for Clive and he became a vicar in the wonderful town of Clevedon. Clive has experienced so much in life and has seen all different sides, but he believes whether in his work in the police or as a reverend, it's all about connection. We discuss so much from firearms, bomb scene management, love, loneliness and the importance of finding joy. There's so much to think about in this conversation. I divided it in two episodes. I know how busy you are and I just really wanted you to be able to spend some time with it. But in a world where we are often told all about the doom and gloom, we also have someone like Clive. He's kind, thoughtful and a tonic for all our souls. I loved our conversation and I really hope you do too. Hello and welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to author, I speak with some incredible people who've already started their next chapters in the hope it might help you with your next chapter or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here he is, Reverend Clive Jennings. Reverend Clive Jennings, I've been so looking forward to speaking to you. Thank you so much for joining me on The Next Chapter. Oh, thanks. It's, uh, it's a real privilege. As I said to you, I, you know, I am truly humbled to be part of your lineup with all your famous people that you've interviewed. Well, really interesting. <laughs> I, I have very special people on my podcast. And actually, it was another very special person who introduced us, my friend and colleague, Kylie Pentelow. And she said, you must get Reverend Clive Jennings on. And I have. And this is wonderful. So oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're really Thanks, good. Kylie. Thank you. Yeah, well, look, we, we're in awe. We're in awe. So, we start as ever, and your prologue, uh, Clive, and we we establish it's okay for me to call you Clive. I, I wondered Most if it's definitely. Okay. Oh yes, please. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to cause any offence. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, your your upbringing. I mean, it sounds to me, it just sounded absolutely idyllic. You were born in Yeovil, um, and you said that you were brought up in a council house, which you wear like a badge. Uh, that you had a very supportive upbringing. Your dad was a postman, very sociable, and your mum was just this lovely warm lady that and you just had a home of care and love which to me just sounds wonderful it was great i mean i dad was dad was really sociable you know typical postman in those days sort of knew everybody um 
everybody knew him by his name, uh, same round, a real sort of social thing. And uh, it was great. And my mum was, mum was sort of stay-at-home mum, always there for me and my sister, for me and Sally. You know, it was, it, it really was. It was good. There was great parenting. It was mm. good upbringing. And um, yeah, you know, I don't really think sometimes you think about where you're brought up. You know, we I didn't really identify of, you know, being on a council estate or, you know, being any less than anybody else. It was just it was good. It was good. When you say great parenting, it's interesting because I've actually just been listening to a podcast this morning talking about all the pressures that parents put on children and this perfectionism, even though we might not mean to do it, but it's a society that we live in. So when yeah. you, you must see it now, Clive, and obviously we'll go on to speak about it, but you obviously see lots of parents and it's a different world. But when you think back to your childhood, when you say it was great parenting, what would, what would you define as great parenting? I think there was a lot of love. There was a lot of love. Um, they were there for me. There was time. I think maybe in the time when I grew up, there was no distractions. So there was no iPhones or iPads or anything. When you were there, it was, uh, yeah, it, you you were engaged. I mean, you know, so sort of going out to dad, do the gardening, um, things, there was, there was time. I think Mandy always, my wife always reminds me, um, love is spelt T-I-M-E. Mm. And I think time is so important. And uh, there was freedom as well. I think, again, there was a lot of freedom. Um, there was space to just be. I don't think there was that sense of fear around then. You know, you'd you'd go off to the park. There was no mobile phones. So, you know, when you came home, you came home. You know, you just told your parents where you were. And, uh, yeah, there was freedom. Mm. It really was. It, was. it was great, you know. We may do with very little, but it was great. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's just because actually that's what you do. That's what we all want from a home, isn't it, growing up? That you go somewhere that you've got love, you've got care, because you get all the pressure elsewhere in life. So why not Absolutely. have a lovely home like that? Yeah, it was. And again, you know, it was it was, it was was varied as well. I don't think my parents were over overly sociable. You know, we, I don't ever remember us having people over for dinner or supper um, you know, but it wasn't that sort of culture it, it was just you know you came home you had tea watched a bit of tv that was it it was, it was great it's really simple mm. yeah and when you say you were you were uh, that you grew up in a council house uh, like a badge of honor what I mean what what do you what do you mean by that I, I think I think what I mean is is I was secure in my routine I really am. I think we should all be secure in our routing of, of who we are and where we come from. It's not being pretentious about ever trying to be somebody that we're not. And I think that connection really helped in life of just, you know, knowing where you are, where you're from. That doesn't set any form of ceiling at all. Um, but it, And it doesn't change any aspirations that you have in life. But it's... Uh, it's not being ashamed is the wrong word. I think it's just being secure in who you are and where you were brought up. And uh, yeah, I remember years later, um, 
years, years later uh, on, a, on a VIP protection job, I pointed out to a colleague and said, oh, I was born over there. And there was like this huge hush. Is that, <laughs> oh, my gosh, you know, um, but no, that's where I was born. That's where I was brought up. And, I, and I'm proud of it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's such a lovely way of, of looking at it. And do you feel the same? Because obviously, and again, we'll come on to see it, but what you do now, you obviously see all different people and people who perhaps didn't have the care and love that you had so so maybe maybe they grew up in a council house or maybe they grew up in a very big house but obviously the care and love was is the most special thing but do you feel like that's the same as even if someone had a quite a difficult upbringing and not such a stable upbringing as you had and not such a loving you should still be rooted in that because it shows where you've come from and how far you've come I, th- I think sometimes it does. And I think the you can look back and I, I really believe that of seeing the potential that you have within you in whatever setting you come from. And I've met so many amazing people who have, you know, had really tough upbringings and haven't had the best start in life. Um, yet, you know, the, the huge potential, I take my hat off really to mm-hmm. those that have really grappled with life Mm. but have done amazingly well and survivors really Mm. for those that have survived you know there is really great survivors in life yeah well and so you see so much of which we will come on to talk about so when you were at school Clive you how I understand it you actually did really enjoy drama I did I did. It was my, my <laughs> I did. It's um, when I was in, when I was infant school, my mother used to have to drag me to school. Apparently uh, I was, I, I just did, I was a bit school averse, I think when I was, <laughs> but in primary school, something really clicked. And um, I just love singing. Um, I just love drama. And of course, then I went on to secondary school and I had an amazing drama teacher, Alan Reese. Um, and he was just such a great encourager. And uh, yeah, that led on. It, it wasn't as though I was an extrovert. I don't think I really was an extrovert, but like many people, you know, put you on a stage and you suddenly come alive. Yeah. And uh, I think that was my experience. I think, yeah, I had some, I had some great parts, some great shows, local Amdram stuff as well. Uh, yeah, it was great. That's I loved amazing. It. <laughs> That, that well, obviously you had your your dad's outgoingness, I suppose, as well. And then um, when your mum and dad, but so what did they? I mean, because you you actually did really think about going to drama school. It was uh, there was um, we were doing a, a production, and, and I think it was Oliver. I think I, I, I was the artful dodger. It sort of fitted me to a T, you know, sort of cheeky and stuff like that. And uh, apparently, some lady came from uh, Somerset County Council who was part of their drama department. And um, through Alan sort of suggested that I ought to go for an audition and of all places ought to focus towards RADA. And now, you know, sort of being sort of 15 and starstruck and all of that, Alan was brilliant in his advice. And he said, you know, a lot of a lot of actors are resting at any one time, you know, sort of out of work. Um, (laughs) uh, So better to go and get a career. And uh, suggested that I go and get a job in printing, um, wow. printing, because a lot of printers then it was in the time of hot metal, yeah. uh, in and you sort of worked overnight and then you could go for auditions during the day and whatever. So you know it was good advice, really. Yeah. Um, 
but I still love the theatre. You know, yeah. put me in a theatre. Uh, oh, I, I just, I just love watching theatre. In fact, you know, yeah. Monday when I get to London as often as we can, or see local theatre is great. Yeah. Well, but what from what I hear from the lovely Kylie, I think you know what you do today is very. You know, I'm sure you put a lot of your performance into your into your services. Uh, I think it's about connecting, isn't it? When you hear people connecting with their audience uh, or connecting with their congregation, uh, I think there has to be that element of connection. Mm. And, you know, I I often watch that where you sort of see people in different walks of life, you know, Mm. uh, in your role, you know, how people connect. Mm -hmm. And I think that just, just gets the message. You can connect with people opens up conversations it's brilliant yeah mm, it really does i think it's it's what makes the world go round it it really Absolutely. does it really does and so i mean so you did listen to the advice so then so you went to work at a printer's but you did soon realize that that wasn't for you that wasn't for uh, you, the printing so you went to a bank and a magistrate's uh, court i know that's I quite know. a concoction I, clive it's really interesting <laughs> and I don't know how I got a job in the trustee savings banks because my maths is rubbish, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably I'm, I'm so glad I didn't take that job, you know, the national economy and all of that, maybe. <laughs> but um, no, the magistrate's court was really interesting. I, I think the decision was um, at the time getting two jobs in one day is the magistrate's court. You've got your own desk and your own phone. And when you're 16 and a half, nearly 17, you know, that's a big thing. Yeah. You know? Wowzers. Desk and a phone. Yeah, know, absolutely. That was really great. But, um, yeah, I mean, the magistrate's court uh, in Yeovil was um, just by the police station. And so you overlooked the courtyard uh, where police officers came and went. And sort of day by day, we used to deal with police because we were in the same building. And, yeah, there was something that more and more became very sort of attractive for a a sort of 18-year-old, 17-and-a-half, 18-year-old of thinking, gosh, you know, this could be for me. This, 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 this looks really great. You know, I don't want to be stuck behind this typewriter, maybe, but, you know, get out there and see life, you know. Yeah. (laughs) And is that so you would see the policemen or police officers, the women as well, but in their uniform and you think, actually, that appeals to me. It was a really good friend of um, mine, um, Andy Dore. He was a sergeant and uh, his wife was in the operatic society. And I knew Andy really well. Andy was a great encourager. And uh, I think my life has been full, as many of us have, for your listeners, have been people that we've come across in life that have been really great encouragers of us. Mm. And, um, that yeah, Andy was a great encourager. And sort of that thing of, yeah, you know, it's a good career. It, mm. it could be really good for you. And at the time, it was, um, I think, in the late 70s, recruitment was quite low for the police. So, um, yeah, it just seemed a, a good thing to do. The thing was, though, as I wasn't heavy enough. Oh. When I, when I applied, they sent me, I was really skinny, and uh, they sent me away to put weight on. Wow. And apparently, if you eat full fat, if you drink full fat milk and eat bananas, uh, you put on weight really, really quickly. Did they didn't you? tell me about the constipation. Oh, <laughs> you, do get, you, do, you do get you do put on weight really quickly. Well, I lost go. it all at training school. Ah, yeah. but I mean, look at that. There's something new you learn every day, isn't there? <laughs> 
I'm sure whether it works. Yeah, but it works. yeah, it works. It works. So, so you entered. So there you are. And I mean, you had. I mean, my so my husband is a, a crime journalist, and he oh. spends lots of time with uh, lovely, amazing detectives and their work. And when yeah. I was telling him what you had done, he was like, "Wow!" So he understood oh. this a lot more than I had. So I mean, you you kind of went through you you, and there was a lot, wasn't there? There was firearms there was vip protection special branch and yep. the so13 southwest counter terrorist branch which he was in awe of which yeah really? so i'm oh. gonna i'm gonna get you to explain so so what happened did you presumably did you en- enter in in a kind of traineeship as such and just work your way up yeah sure i am um... I joined, I went to Champ Mall, which is, um, if people know, it's just between Yeovil and uh, down towards Dorchester, just outside of Yeovil, Champ Mall, Song of the Blackbird. And uh, I, I loved it. There was something about being in uniform, you know, like marching in the morning. And I met some great people from other forces and uh, lots of people from ex forces. But of course, again, it was a bit like life. You get lots of people thrown together from different backgrounds. And uh, I think just, I know that people make me tick, you know, take me away from people and I'm, I'm dead in the water, mm. but you know, around people I thrive mm. and there's some really great people. And uh, I got posted to Bridgewater was my first posting, um, which was really interesting. I yeah. mean, you know, I love Bridgewater. It was, yeah. it was a great training ground. Yeah. And um, yeah, I sort of did my beat policing there, you know, all the walking around sort of panda cars and, Oh, they, they gave you um, my first panda car was a, a Hillman Imp. And many of the listeners may remember those. I think it's the smallest car ever, <laughs> you know, and trying to get a person into the back of a, a Hillman Imp was quite a, yeah, quite a challenge, really. I'm sure it was. Yeah. And did they used to have the Bridgewater Carnival still then? Yes, they did. Mm. Yeah, Bridgewater Carnival, big thing carnival in Bridgewater. Well, it is. Um, yeah. Big shout out for the carnival clubs in Bridgewater. They do an amazing they job do. for charity. Yeah, they yeah. do. And I mean, my goodness, today, those carts are like, it's like being in Disney World when you see what they create. It's incredible. It's such awesome. history there. And the time that people put into those as well. And mm. um, I think my target, first of all, had always been, um, I had a huge opportunity. Because I look so young, um, they used to use me for... Um, sort of like operations to go into places um, undercover. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I, got, I got thrown, I, I, I got a job in Bristol that I was doing and um, I'd taken a prisoner back to Redland Police Station. Redland isn't there anymore. Um, but there's this big burly station sergeant who I'd never met before. And of course I was in plain scruffy and he, he before he was saying anything, he just sort of, grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, what are you doing out your cell? <laughs> and chucked me into this cell <laughs> with a lad who had been stealing cars all over Bristol, but <laughs> they didn't know that. And so I sat there for half an hour and this lad sort of told me every car that he'd stolen and where he dumped them until I was rescued from the cell. <laughs> but uh, yeah. said you were the police officer there. But, and, and what was it, I mean, what was it like, I mean, for you, did, you being a young boy going out like that i mean and i'm sure you did see some sights i mean were yeah. you was it was it frightening did you used to get scared at that stage i think i think i think it's when you reflect back sometimes i think it's when you reflect back on what you've done afterwards 
and then you suddenly realize gosh you know oh well that was i think you know maybe they say you know other people run away from danger police officers run to it mm. and and i think that's so true you know i, I just the 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 bravery and courageousness that I've seen from my colleagues in so many settings mm. um, is just huge, really. And from other emergency services as well that you, you know, work with. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there were times that, that were pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty hair-raising um, mm. and things. In, but you just reflect back on them afterwards and you think, gosh, you know. And I, and I suppose, again, that's in some ways that I that's where my faith came in, I guess, really. Um, a lot of that of just trusting, of knowing that you weren't alone, knowing that sort of God is with you. And all of that was uh, really helpful, although it wasn't sort of evident in every part of my sort of, you know, I think mm. I think there was times faith is a bit of a bumpy road sometimes, I think. Mm. <laughs> well, well, this is what we, we will talk about. But, I mean, did you, let me ask you now then, Clive, were, were you, was your family religious? Were you always religious? Yeah, we'd always gone to church. Um, my dad was uh, really, I, I, when I was about 10, I joined the church choir because, um, but he was very sort of high church, you know, um, really sort of all candles, um, swinging incense, things like that. Um, and I sort of grew up within that sort of culture, really. Uh, and again, I suppose there's that thing about discipline, isn't there, really? It's sort of like three services on a Sunday and choir rehearsal but it was a great culture it was you know you, you met lots of people from different ways of life mm. different ages and stages as my colleague russ uses the term there all ages and stages and i love that you know yeah. churches church should reflect community mm. and as long as it reflects community then i think it's church when it becomes isolated then it's not community, is it? Mm. It's not church. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great upbringing, and um, it was when I was in Bridgewater, I got transferred to Taunton to task force, and um, we were on duty in the high street, and um, it was in the days of the punk rockers, uh, mm. and they were being a bit antisocial, um, so uh, we were on duty in the high street, and I just looked up and. Uh, there's this uh, amazing, amazing woman looking down at me. And uh, I said, do you make coffee up there? And she said, yeah, for you, yes. And that was it. We were I met Mandy and we were married 11 months later. Oh, amazing. 41, 41 years this year. So. Oh, wow. So you just met. So literally you met her out there and there she was. And, and Absolutely. that's it. And Mandy, Mandy had sort of, Mandy sort of brought me back really into what, I say was a, a a realistic and living faith because her family weren't um, they didn't go to church at all. In fact, it really wasn't spoken about in their house. And she used to creep out on a Sunday afternoon with her friend to go to a local chapel yeah. down the road yeah. and really fell in love with that. And for her, school was her church. You know, yeah. she loved it. And so she started asking me all these questions, you know, and I thought, well, I should know this. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was great, you know. Uh, and how old were you then, Clive? I was about 23, oh, okay. 23, 24. Mm. Yeah. 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 Wow. There she was in Taunton. And, Absolutely. Oh, and, and I mean, presumably, I mean, so what, what years were these? Because presumably the streets were pretty, they were pretty rough at that stage, weren't they? Were they? It was, yeah, it was early 1980s. And of course, early 1980s was the time 
obviously the riots were happening around. Yeah. I remember when we were on Task Force, we we had to attend Bristol riots, um, things like that. You know, all of those. There was a lot of um, a lot of unrest around. I think in the late seventies and early eighties, and then of course there was the miners' strike mm. that was happening at the time. And uh, yeah, there seemed to be a lot of unrest mm. around. And maybe again, you know, we we underestimate social issues now, but there was a lot of social issues around then. I mm. think a lot of unemployment and uh, a lot of deprivation, really. Mm. Would you say, and I know it's difficult to say now, and we haven't got onto what you do now in detail, but would you, when you look at, when you, because obviously we always think that we live in the worst times or people always say, or, you know, but do you think when you think of it like that, and obviously you still very much are on the front line of seeing what real life is like, do you think life is very different to then or much worse or, like you say, just different problems? How would you compare it? It's interesting. I, I think, again, there is, I think there's more out there. I think. And I think people are more prepared to ask for help now. Mm. I think, again, there was this sense of, you know, we, we don't ask. And uh, it was all sort of pushed underground or to one side. And um, But now I'm really encouraged now that, that, that there's so much openness and access for mm. people, not just for, you know, food banks, um, for support, for, for mental health support, all sorts of things now that that there is access. It's just a matter of of asking mm. and managing to access that. Fit. You know, it it is there. It's there. Whereas back along, I don't know. Maybe there was a bit of a stigma back along asking more. Yeah. Maybe yeah. there is today. I'm not sure, but I certainly think there was back along. My my parents would never have, you know, even during the postal strikes. You know, they wouldn't have thought of going to people and you know, asking for food, you know, that would have been beyond the pale, you know, we would have rather starved than ask for help, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's how, and not talk about how frightening and, and terrifying it all was with their young children and things like that. But, and do you think, funny enough, my husband often says this, um, because he he's done sort of like quite looking back at sort of different crimes and different, you know, d- different times as such. Um, yeah. But actually, he often says to walk along a street now, he feels is much safer because with all the CCTV um, and actually it's much harder, touch wood, of course, crime happens, but it's much harder to get away with crime. So when what you were seeing, you know, that was frontline, like, you know, people were, there was attacks on the street to women. There was, you know, yeah. burglaries a lot. But like you say, there were riots. People, and it's very easy, I think, with all our 24-hour media, that you think, because there's all this constant... But you imagine if there had been 24-hour media then, it, it would have been I, just as if not more d- terrifying. It's I, I, it's that thing between detection and prevention. And I think that's really interesting because uh, I sort of grew up in a, a generation where you walked the beat. Um and, you know, you, you got to talk to people. Um, maybe there was a, a sense of uh, prevention, maybe, by just seeing a police officer, a reassurance of police officers walking in the street. Um, maybe that. I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think, well, technology, as I found later in my service, you know, with all the technology that was available and all the intervention that was available, certainly in, in terrorist situations, um, yeah, I mean, it transformed policing, mm. definitely transformed policing um, mm. of, of detection of what you were able to do, certainly in surveillance as well. Absolutely. 
so that's what you I mean so you move and and when did you have your children Clive because you've got have you got two children two children yeah we, we had two children and um there's I, I had an opportunity was, I think Mark Mark had just been born and uh Devon and Cornwall were recruiting for sergeants and um uh, there's a of course, everybody in the country, I think, applied. <laughs> you know, who wouldn't want to go to, nice... to Devon and Cornwall? I mean, who, who wouldn't want to live the life of yeah, surfing? Yeah, pound the day? beat. <laughs> um, Poor Clevin. I, I, I applied and I got one of the jobs. Wow. Um, uh, I think they I, they only had 25 places. And I I, I was, I mean, it was gruelling, but, but I was offered a place. And I thought they were going to offer me Exeter or Plymouth. And they offered me Red Ruth, which yeah. is near Patrice, where we used to go on holiday every year as children, oh, which would have been wow. nice. But uh, I think both Mandy and I felt that for us, it was quite isolated. Mm. Um, would have, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're both, I think, townies at heart, I think, really. Uh, it would have been a little bit rural. Okay. Um, so I turned it down <gasps> and uh, I, I went to see the uh, the chief constable Um and he said, oh, you did very well. I said, oh, thanks very much. You know, um, so when do I get my promotion in Avon and Somerset? And he said, oh, he said, I don't know about that. And he kept me hanging for about another month <laughs> before he promoted me to Bristol, which was, yeah, which wow. was great. <laughs> wow. And so, so this was this then when you went into firearms? Yeah, I, I, I was fortunate. Um, I, I went on to my my. I've loved support groups, which are the guys, that, the teams that run around in, in vans, um, support groups. They have a variety of roles and it, it was really great. It was where you either did public order, search and secure, um, and then they were setting up firearms units as well at the time. And um, I'd, I'd, really, I'd really sort of struggled with the idea of do I do firearms, don't I do firearms? But I just felt it's... It felt right at the time. I was at that right stage of life. I, I felt I was mature enough at that time. You know, I, I wouldn't have certainly done it when I was younger. Um, mm. Gosh, you know, no way. Mm. Um, but I felt that I was at that place, that it was just the right time. And, yeah, it, it was it, – and it opened up some opportunities, really, mm-hmm. for us. Um, yeah, long, long, hard thinking about that, you know, for firearms officers. They, they've got a tough job to do, yeah. tough decisions to make, as we've heard about in the news recently, you know. Yeah, yeah. And were, I mean, I appreciate, and, you know, to go over all this, but were you in difficult situations? Did you find yourself in, in? I mean, and, and that, you know, you're a dad with two children, your gorgeous wife. So, yeah. again, the sort of admiration that we all have but for you to, to, to do that, that yeah. must have been a very difficult decision. It was. I, I, in... But on some some way, it was just another level of actually doing what you were called to do in the job. Mm. Um, you know, and it, it's that continuum of force that they call it, you know, where, you know, you don't go from naught to 100. It's an escalation, really. And, you know, I think having been quite small and skinny as a police officer, <laughs> you learn to talk to people, you know, <laughs> and to be honest. I've, or I've, eat bananas, I've, Clive. I will eat bananas yeah, I've, and, I've, and I've fat milk. I've myself out of some serious situations, you know. <laughs> I could have got seriously hurt, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was just, I think it's just another escalation of, you know, it's it was there if you needed it, you know. Yeah. And, uh, 
And of course, there is that issue of there are some people that, that, that do carry firearms and you've got to meet the threat with the requisite amount of force, you know. Yeah. And is that what you would do? You would have to have a, you know, in these very, you know, dreadful situations, you'd have to stay calm and basically have a conversation. I think as well, it's what you're confronted with. I always think it's always what you're confronted with. Mm. And you've got to assess things. And maybe again, I think that's a real gift that many police officers um, don't realise that the gift that they possess, that uh, you assess a situation, you know, you're talking to people, you, you're assessing the situation all the time, you know, what's happening, what's coming, what am I, what am I being confronted with? Is this going to escalate? Do I bring someone down? I always used to, I think the it's when you went to domestic situations, you know, and you just didn't know where that was going to go sometimes. Mm. Um, people in their houses, quite a confined space. And, uh, you know, always kept people away from the kitchen in the knife drawer. It was always helpful, you know. Yeah, oh, my goodness. I bet it was. And I would imagine as well, you know, it's some of those situations where you think, actually, this is relatively OK. They're the ones that can sometimes just really turn. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, and sort of quite quickly as well, really. Um, and I think it's just the what ifs. Uh, there's always the what ifs. What if this happens? What if this? Um, I had a lovely old sergeant, um, old style sergeant. He said, you know, uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. You know, and I think sometimes if you can, certainly with pre-planned operations, if you can plan well, you've covered most of the what ifs, mm. really. Mm. And and if you plan well and um, having lots of people's different views into planning as well. You know, if you're going to do a successful operation, listen to the views of the professionals around you as well, not just your own perspective. Yeah. But yeah, it's been, it, it was good. Oh, Mandy, good. though. It wasn't put... on wet days at the firing range there. No. It was, I always remember those wet, cold days at the Avon range, um, you know, some of my instructors, if they're listening to this, will tell you what a lousy shot I was on those days, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Just watch out, Clive's here. I don't like the wet and the cold, you know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But your lovely wife as well. I mean, she must have been so worried when you went out to work. She must She must have been. Mandy has been just so supportive in my life um, in every aspect, really. Um, it just, you know, it's... Yeah, in every aspect of, of the changes and things that, that, that we've done. And, of course, Mandy's got her own career um, working with um, children and families with uh, who have children with additional needs. Um, and that was, uh, yeah, you know, and it's, yeah, it's just been amazing, really. Just being there, I think, sometimes. But, again, you know, as we always said, you know, Mandy, along with other police officers, spouses, you know, husbands and wives. Um, you know, if, if somebody knocks on your door in uniform, you probably know it's not going to be good news. And I think there must be, that must be a part of the cost, I think, yeah. of being married to the services, yeah. you know, what, whatever armed services it is, you know, there, there will always be the cost for some, you know, my heart goes out to those several colleagues who I know who have, lost their lives both on duty and other circumstances, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's never good delivering those messages. No, no. At all. 
No, and you've seen sort of so much part of life. Before before we do move on, because obviously this has helped you so much in what you do now, are you allowed to tell us anything, Clive, about the special special branch or the uh, SO... Oh, I'm only asking this because my husband will say, you've got to ask uh, him. Or oh, the SO13 Southwest Counter-Terrorist Branch. Are we allowed to... Am I allowed to ask you it anything? It sounds very grand. It sounds very grand. Um, very grand. It, it was... Um, it was a great way in with um, VIP protection because it was part of then part of special branch. And what you did is you worked with other agencies. So you'd work with London. So if you had a VIP come to stay and there was a, an amazing team of, uh, I think it was about a team then about 23 uh, locally. And you'd just work providing whatever was needed on a, a visit, a Royal visit or for, Local election times was always very busy with politicians coming and going. Uh, that that was good, and um, yeah, it was. I met some really, really, really interesting people, mm. um, and it was great. And you know, some yeah, it was great to have those conversations where you know, you know, it's just one to one, isn't it? With people, people are real. People have got needs. People open up. They maybe when they're just sat in the back of a car, or when you're in a car with them, they just have everyday conversations. They're, they're they don't they have to they don't have to wear the masks sometimes, mm. and they can be themselves and share some really really personal things. So I feel really privileged to have been in that position sometimes with people. Yeah, and yeah. Um, with colleagues and yeah, I mean the SO13 counter terrorist branch was. Really, more and more sort of searching, um, you know, just going to events that had happened and gaining evidence, collecting evidence, presenting evidence, things like that. It, it sounds very grand. Um, it was fun going to, you know, it, it, yeah, it was. It was some quite specialist stuff mm. that we did. Mm. Uh, like I said, you know, some, my, son, my son once at school um, was asked... Um, they sort of went around the class, I think he was about seven or eight, and went around the class and sort of, you know, what do your parents do for jobs? And uh, I was met at the school gate by the teacher and she said, what do you actually do for a job? And I said, well, why? And she said, well, we asked your son and he said, I can't tell you all I'll, or I'll have to kill you. <laughs> he was on message. <laughs> Oh, it's nice. I feel great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but well, yes. But and did you? I mean, did you have to go into any? And I appreciate there's only so much you can say. But did you have to go into some awful situations? I think I think bomb scene management was. Um, yeah, you, bomb scene management wasn't good. You know, the aftermath of maybe a device had gone off or whatever. And of course, you know, Bristol wasn't immune from that. You know, with the there was several devices went off, not just from um, sort of um, Irish-related terrorism at the time, but also from the animal rights. I mean, animal rights were really active in Bristol during then. I think it was the Senate House bombing um, where a device went off there. I was on that inquiry for a little while. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is just clear. And, and I think, again, reassurance of the public as well around those things, because those incidents don't happen or shouldn't happen on the mainland. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we watch the news and see them in different countries. But again, during that time when stuff was actually happening on the mainland here, um, that was really uh, disruptive and unsettling, I think, mm. for, for us, I think, as a nation, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, some of them 
some of the incidents, yeah, were 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 quite horrific. Um, but again, you you're working multi-agency with other people, mm. and you gather what you can. Your job is to gather evidence from the scene. That's what you're there to do. And I think just sometimes you just got to focus on what you're called to do. You go home at night and you lock your locker, and hopefully you get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Um, not always, no. but you do. I love to say that counselling now is absolutely brilliant in the police. You know, I think it's come on leaps and bounds. Mm. Post post incident counselling is really good. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, but that was a time, wasn't it, with the IRA, and you know, it was. And again, going back to what we were saying earlier, it's very easy to think about now is all the doom and gloom, but actually, they were very difficult days. So to be involved in that then, Clive, that I mean, that was quite something. Yeah, I think, I think there was a lot of fear around, I think, in the nation at the time as well. And um, it was, I think there was that sort of, you were at that moment in time in, in yeah, it, it was a moment in time. And it, it, it did provide, if some ways, it did provide opportunities. Um, you know, there's, the, you look back and you think, yeah, you know, there were some really tough times, but. There was some humour in there as well, you know. Mm. I think you had to have a sense of humour yeah. in amongst what was some really, really tough times, you know. And you find that, I think, a lot amongst lots of emergency service workers. You know, I, I love that. Uh, I love that sense of people can, yeah, you know, maybe it's a coping mechanism. I think humour yeah. sometimes is a coping mechanism. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is. And that's why probably why we have it. But, you know, yeah. it's just a, a wonderful thing. And so, I mean, so now today, the fact that you're working in the gorgeous Clevedon, uh, you know, oh, as, yes. uh, so, I mean, it, Clevedon, uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know, is is well, you put, is a seaside town. It's gorgeous. It's just you've got your lovely pier. You've got squiggly oh. lines, which we won't even talk about, all the lines no, on the front. let's not talk about the squiggly lines. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> I said, I, in my day job, I've been there quite oh. a lot, Clive, in those lines. But that's a whole different story. Um, I'm sure you know somebody who can sort that out. But um, anyway, but that, I mean, that's a million miles away. A million miles away from what you were doing there, you know, in with working in, in the terrorist branch so so as i understand it you were you went on holiday with your children and i think this was something that your lovely wife mandy she sort of encouraged you to go along as a as a protection officer they wanted to go on a christian holiday is that right and then kind of you had a life-changing moment you said to me in your oh. notes i'm dying to know what this is yes there we are so what next what happens next all will be revealed in part two Clive tells us how everything changed for him and he gives some wonderful advice during the next part of the conversation about what to do if you're feeling a bit lost or unsure about what to do next. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the charity Empire Fighting Chance who are fighting for young lives. I'm so proud they're supporting the work we're doing here and I really hope you listen to the next part of this conversation with the very wonderful Reverend Clive Jennings. <laughs>